This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I go around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups, or at least people over 18, as it may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! You didn't need to curse. No, I just wanted to. Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami. It's Baz Ashmawi. 30, bitches! That's loud. Sorry. Sorry if you were just listening and you were waiting for a nice welcome intro. Not doing welcomes today. You know. You came here. You know what you get. This is how it is. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Episode 30. Who knew? Actually, now I think about it. It's been a little bit... A little bit heavy this season. Not heavy. Thought-provoking. With some... Some of the darker side of content. Yeah. A little bit. But that's not a bad thing. That's like I say, that's thought provoking. But maybe next season, I think I might go a little bit, uh, a little bit Pepsi light on it. Yeah, funnier. Oh, not funny, am I not? No, I said you're funny. You can. You well, you're you're the fucking producer, so or one of the oh, producers. One of the fucking producers. Wow, <laughs> now we're all cursing. I'm just saying. So you, I can only work with what I what what I'm given. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Find me funny shit then. No, not funny shit. I like the deeper stuff, but it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Valentine's Day yesterday. <laughs> I can barely walk. Wink, wink. Honestly, wink. I can't even. It's like I was squatting a truck. Wow. Yeah, my glutes and my hamstrings are just overworked. Odd. Honestly, it was like I was carrying a small calf on my shoulders up a big mountain. Don't rob does, wait, does that imply that Tanya's face. like a small calf? No, it kind of does. I'm just saying I worked my legs out really, really well yesterday. With all the love making I was doing. Wow. I was and hanging upside down. It's a lot of pressure on your joints. But hey, I don't want to brag. Yeah, please don't rub it in our faces. Oh well, funny you should say that. No, I won't go there. Um, the point is, I didn't get any yesterday. That's why I'm making up this fabricated story about Valentine's. I fucking hate Valentine's Day. Let me just tell you this now. I personally despise the fact that I, I love buying flowers. I'm a big flower fan. Look at me. I'm that type of guy. You know it by me. Look how good I smell. Do normal men smell like this? No. Why? Because... I like different things. I'm soft and gentle. I like flowers. I like buying my woman flowers. But I don't like buying them at overpriced rates where they're really shitty and worn out on Valentine's Day. It's the worst day to be romantic because it's expected. Real romantic gestures aren't on Valentine's Day. It's just a competition on Instagram for her to show her mates what she got. Isn't it? Am I wrong? What do you mean you don't know? That's not a reply. What are you afraid of? Oh, Miss Miss Woke, what are you no, afraid I've of? I've been out of business for you, a while, so I you, don't You're afraid know. of offending St. Valentine? People, I know, I'm a bit, no, I'm just, as a single person, mm. it's not my fight, really, so I don't, don't care what you guys, happy people. 
<laughs> do in your normal Valentine's Don't day. fucking like, call me happy. For, first, first word problems I may, really bad. I may, I may, <laughs> sm- first word problems I may, to me. I may smell good. <laughs> oh my good. god! Oh my god! What? I can buy flowers on Valentine's Day. Malish. <laughs> Seriously. My list means don't worry about it in there ever, by the way. Um, okay, I'm just going to get straight into our episode Please 30. Okay, yeah, let's move on. And I'm not I, sorry if you had a nice Valentine's Day, good for you. Happy by Valentine's the way. Day for you. It was Absolutely. yesterday. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. But still, you can celebrate love anytime. I'll you. tell you who you need to celebrate is Gian Shebeni. Shaven. I know, I was just adding a bit of lint. To is it lint or what? Shabany. Shabany, uh, 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 Lint, I was going to call her. Gian Shabany is an illustrator and writer. She's English. She grew up in Brighton. Uh, she now lives in very cool gay Paris with her family. Uh, she's a self taught illustrator, um, very impressively as well. She studied English literature at Oxford University. Um, when she taught, uh, when she moved to Paris first, she taught English students at, um, at various um, language schools. And then she created her own language school for children called Anglophone. And she illustrated and wrote books like Lily and the Polar Bears. Her books are gorgeous, by the way. And um, book series called The Worries and her debut young adult novel, The Silver Chain, which is coming out this year. You should keep your ears and eyes open for that. And... Um, the premise is to draw your worries to define them. The kid is the one who finds the solution to his worries, not his parents, which is a very sweet concept, isn't it? And it's the way it should be. Um, I had a really, really interesting, nice chat with Gian. Um, I think she's brilliant. Um, she's I love her artwork. I've been stalking her on Instagram for way too long. Um, She's wonderful. I think you're gonna love her. I think you're gonna love the chat. This is that chat. My my sister okay. has been girl crushing on you like crazy because because she was <laughs> going, Oh, she's so cool, you gotta meet Gian. Oh my god, she's amazing. And I was like, Oh, what's so amazing better? And then I started looking oh, into you and you, you are pretty unbelievable. You are pretty amazing. And I was like, I would I'm just so happy Thanks, to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Tell me about you a little bit. Where you grew up, what did you study? Where did you study? That kind of lark. Okay, so I grew up in uh, Brighton. I was born in Liverpool. My mum's from Liverpool. My dad's from uh, Iran. And I grew up in Brighton and then um yeah I studied uh English literature at Somerville College in Oxford. And um, but before that, I went on a gap year to Brussels. I spent a year as an intern to an amazing Green MEP, uh, who's now an MP, Caroline Lucas. And then I went back to uni to study and um, started uni rather. And yeah, had a fantastic three years studying English literature. And then I did a master's in um, English literature called Critical Theory. And that was at Sussex. And then I moved to Paris. As you yeah, do. I've been here for 14 and, years. And see, people don't know, but but you see, if you want the bourgeois lifestyle that you have and you're, you're a nice bougie lifestyle in Paris, it has shit Wi-Fi because you have to run around the house for about 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. looking for a good spot. Yes, isn't it? But this is the payoff yeah, for exactly living 18. in Paris. How's life in Paris, tell me? <laughs> oh, it's lovely. I mean, at the moment, it's a bit gloomy because everyone's wearing masks still, but... I mean, it's it's a fantastic place to live. You know, you've got all these incredible museums, lovely cafes, loads of moody people. 
Um, I, I see. I love the really French. I do. I do. Lovely. I love them. I just. I love Paris as well. They're very honest. Yeah. So honest. Yeah. Yeah. Brut- brutally honest. Yeah, it's yeah. quite refreshing. Tell me this. You've had a very busy last year, right? Yeah. Really busy. Really busy. I mean, uh, looking back, making the worries. I was doing it in lockdown. You know, I was doing the drawings, book one, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. You know, trying to homeschool, trying to manage our language school online. It was pretty crazy. So now I'm working on book three. It's, it feels really luxurious to have time to think about the drawings and, and you know not be rushing with these crazy deadlines and, and mad things happening. Because I was I was nosing through the drawings. I love them. They're so gorgeous. Oh, but th- thanks, you draw man. them as well. Yeah. God, yeah. fucking talented yeah. people are so annoying. D- you didn't study art. You just. <laughs> How did you, how did you, you just I amazing at drawing? I, um, no, I did, I did art A-level. I had a fantastic art teacher, Mr. Tuick, and I, I really loved it. It was my favourite subject next to English. And, um, and then I, I just carried it on for a while, but I, you know, I wasn't doing it every day. And then I knew I was, I really wanted to be a children's author. I knew that as soon as I left uni. But, you know, it's a pretty mad idea when you leave uni to want to be a children's author. It takes time, you know, it's, it's a long it's a long path you have to carve out for yourself. And as I was going on like various like workshops, writing workshops, I thought, oh, do you know what? I'd be really frustrated if I, if I can't do the pictures and someone else gets to do that. So I started seriously drawing again. And I started, you know, uh, putting together a portfolio, going to conferences. I joined the SWBI and, um, and yeah, just kept on like reaching out to people who could help me improve. Because it's yeah. such a huge part. I know from being a dad and sitting and, and reading stories to my kids, it's such a huge part is the majority of it is they want to see the pictures, right? A lot of the time, yeah. you know, the story yeah. resonates obviously, but the pictures, are, but your sketches are gorgeous. They're really, really oh, sweet. Thanks. I love them. If anyone, thanks I'll so throw much. your Instagram at the, on the end of this because um, that's where I was um, kind of skulking through everything. Um, tell me this, before illustration, I just want to go back to before you were writing or illustrating. You were an intern mm. for a politician, right? So how did yeah. that influence you into where you are now or did it not? Oh, absolutely. It was a huge, huge learning experience. I mean, living abroad, for one thing, I think you learn a lot about yourself, about what you want to do with your life, what you're interested in. Um, I've always been really interested in politics, but that experience showed me that I, I, wouldn't, I wasn't cut out for it. Um, you have to be extremely, extremely tough and want to do just that. You have to be extremely focused on that. Um, I mean, Caroline Lucas was an incredible person to, to work for. And she has a huge amount of compassion. And I think it's quite rare to have politicians who, who have that amount invested in their work and, and being able to put their ego to one side, you know. And, uh, it, and it was the outbreak of the Iraq war. It was uh, when there's all this stuff going on about GMOs. Um, so it was really, really fascinating. Um, but I knew at the end of that, that I was you know, desperate to get back to, to uni and, and learn and read uh, literature. Mm-hmm. I suppose for anyone who doesn't know, tell me about the worries. How did that come about, like even the concept of that? So the worries came about... Um, I guess it was about three, four years ago now, because children's publishing is really a really long process, right? So uh, when I first started writing it, um, yeah, my son was about seven and I was looking for stories to help him with his worries. And we've read a lot of picture books, but there didn't seem to be a lot of young fiction out there, like chapter books. And it also felt that a lot of stories were quite 
simplistic when it came to worries. It was like, you've got a problem, don't hide it, share it, and then it's kind of gone. And I think what you realize as a parent, especially, is that worries are really complex and everyone's got really different ways of, well, everyone's got different worries, first of all, but everyone's got really different ways of manifesting it. And I guess I used to have this image of a, a child with anxieties, you know, like nail biting, quite timid. And I didn't think things like anger would be um, a display of anxiety, mm. for example. Um, and, you know, my son would be worrying about things like being late for school, even though it's very clear we weren't going to be late for school, but it was like his anxieties were all like, you know, coming together, gathering in that manifestation. And it, you know, and as a parent, you're constantly having to sort of like peel away at like what's underneath all that. What are they really worrying it's about? It's funny with you know? children as well, right? Because they can't verbalize the way you and I can, right? We, we can, exactly, we can yeah. tell you exactly what we feel. Like I remember um, one of my little guys, when he, when he was little, he's not little anymore now, he's in a band, God knows. Um, but anyway, um, but when he was little, he used to say things like, oh, I got these really bad butterflies, I feel, I feel sick. You know, I feel sick today. Yeah. And it'd just be because he had a, a test or he was doing rehearsals for a play or something. But he, he couldn't, yeah. he just, he, he couldn't associate the two things together. He was just like, I've yeah. got a real sick tummy all the time. And, and it was only after a while we started to pinpoint, okay, so these little butterflies he's getting are these, you know, it's just anxiety. It's just yeah. normal child yeah. anxiety you know yeah and it's it's very and it's very common that it happens in the in the stomach right I mean we know what it feels like as an adult when you're nervous it's right in the pit of your stomach isn't it yeah and uh yeah like you say kids find it really hard to verbalize so what's been really nice about the worries is doing workshops with kids and showing them that if you start to draw your worries if you start to express it in some way immediately you can start to process that and I spoke to a child psychologist when I was researching the book and, and she explained why that was. She said that, you know, your, your worries initially are in the amygdala, like the part of the brain that's responsible for fight or flight, you know, so it's kind of panic area of the brain. And as soon as you start to express it in some way, be it, you know, uh, with drawing, writing, speaking, uh, it shifts, it goes to like the front frontal cortex where you can start to process the emotions it's like ah like that's why you feel better when you know you've written your diary entry or something you know it's it's it works There's wow yeah it. that's brilliant and that's the first book right was about the worries and then the second one is about what's that about jealousy is it is that right it's about jealousy yeah so this is about jazz who's i always like to take a character who's been in the previous book so Jazz is like Soha's friend from the first book. And, and this one is about her and her having a, a baby sister. And she's really excited about it. But then she realized, actually, I'm pretty jealous too. Uh, I'm always really interested in, you know, this, this thing of like what you expect and then what you end up getting and then having to deal with that disappointment and that frustration sometimes of like, oh, but I really wanted to be like a great big sister, but I can't because I've got this you know, massive worry in the way. So yeah, that's what that one's about. My nine-year-old had a birthday party the other day. She's the youngest of six, but her eldest sister has now had right. a baby. And uh, we were at the birthday oh, wow. party and she was she was having a great time. She's a bit of a diva-ish kind of little girl. And then she started to realize that the baby was getting more attention than she was, mm. do you get me? And it was just so funny because <laughs> I've seen this happen to all the children, but she was the last one where she's like, oh God, there's someone 
more adorable than me here right now that's taking all the and I, we ha actually had to sit down and have this little moment together of me going you know this is natural there'll always be a younger baby coming along and she's just like but did it have to be today you know like she's like because you know this kind of this is my fucking party and i really this is ruining it for me a bit you know but but i love the way i love that you 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 take these um these feelings or these these movements that children go through um, and 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 put them into into something where you can read and share and and talk through with your children. I think that's brilliant. The third book is that written or is that coming out or is that out or? It's written. Yeah, I had to write in a really really short space of time. So that's just been done, and I've just done the the rough drawings for that. So that's been so nice to see all that come together now. And so that that one is about a brother and a sister. Um, so this is Shara, who's in book two, uh, who you, if you've read book two, you'll see her in a picnic outfit. She's wearing, she's at um, Jazz's fancy dress party. So it's about Shara and her little brother and their mum is going away uh, for the weekend and they're going to stay at their granddad's house. And they're, again, they're really excited about it, but they're also really nervous. And so it's about all those worries. And the main worry is responsible. Shara's worry. Shara feels like she always has to look out for her little brother. And yeah, so that one's about about those siblings. Yeah. And tell me, was there worries that you wanted to talk about and found that it... Because some things are... I don't think they're dark, but I think they're honest and they're very blunt. I have a thing with my kids where I talk very... Probably too, too direct or too honestly with them but it's just so there's a trust thing with them you know yeah but was there certain topics that you were maybe or that you'd like to touch on that are are they too dark or do you keep it fluffy or do you keep it kind of not fluffy well, the is first, the wrong word yeah well the first um sketches that i submitted to my editor had death as a worry oh the first and one death is this, yeah the first one going for so the jugular death, straight away you were going yeah, straight in yeah why not? Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah because it's not it's not really something in anglo-saxon literature that you kids literature that you find a lot of you know the nordic uh nordic literature has a lot more of that the french are a lot more direct when it comes to uh, storytelling and and death um and so i had death in there as this happy hairy hippie and it Originally, Soha's hamster was about to die, and, and so death appears. In the end, the hamster didn't die, and I thought that would be gentle enough. But they were like, "Oh no, we're not going to put death in the first one." But I'm hoping that he or she will come in book four. So right? We'll okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> have I have this there. picture of you, you with like four publishers behind the desk, just going, mm, "I'm not sure," but but yeah, no, it makes <laughs> it makes sense. It, they because they're difficult topics to tackle as well, right? Talking they to are. a child, and especially at the moment, like death has been really present in everyone's minds. Um, and so I think you have to have these conversations really early on. Um, it is something obviously we shy away from, even as adults. You know, talking to people about death and bereavement it's, it can be a really awkward difficult topic that we avoid we've spoken a lot in the show about about kind of vulnerability you know and teaching your children mm, yeah. to, to be open and, and there's an there's something great that happens especially i was talking to someone recently about it just with young young boys where they're really really open up until an age a certain age and then there's this kind of 
toxicity that comes in somewhere along where they feel they mm -hmm. can't say stuff or they'll be judged or you know you know sharing their feelings is too feminine a trait or whatever it is so yeah. so i think by by going to, by talking openly with your children using books like yours i think it's an amazing um it's an amazing tool to crutch to lean on, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think uh, children are just so receptive to stories as well. You know, uh, they get completely absorbed. I mean, adults get absorbed too, but especially children. I, and I, I was doing this training with the Empathy Lab, with a brilliant organisation who, who are trying to promote empathy in education and, and promote reading as a way of, of teaching kids empathy. And there was some science um, workshops where they talked about how mirror neurons um, in our brain like light up when, we, when we're reading and, and we experience uh, events in a book as if we're experiencing it ourselves. Amazing. And so this is how like our empathy develops, which is, you know, it's, it's an incredible thing. So I think, yeah, like you say, if we can have these conversations really early on with children through literature, that these are kind of like safe spaces yeah. where you can explore these emotions and, and so that later on it's a really natural thing to be talking about and sharing and thinking about difficult emotions. Yeah. Yeah, I have a child psychologist I speak to um, and, you know, she's been really helpful and informative and, you know, I've, I'm fascinated by psychoanalysis. I've, you know, something I studied. And oh, you studied it as well, did with, you? I, in, my, in my master's, I did the critical theory. With, so we did a lot of psychoanalysis and literature. Wow, so okay. Freud and... Yeah, and it's just something I've always been interested in. And I think, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? Anxiety. It's, it, and, and also, I think it should be something that we, you know, that we don't shy away from, that we can talk about in a very lighthearted way, that doesn't have to be this heavy thing and show kids that we can laugh about things like, you know, like jealousy. It can, it can potentially be a really destructive thing, right? But, you know, in, in small doses, it can be quite funny. So it's it's been really great, you know, for me and my kids to be, writing these stories because we have a lot of fun yeah yeah god you're the perfect person to write a book like you you're a great illustrator <laughs> psychoanalysis <laughs> like there's english literature <laughs> like is you're not gonna the, the, tell me this the the warrior <laughs> child have you been that child grown up were, were you a warrior as a as a kid Do you know what my mum asked me my mum asked me this the other day she obviously feeling a bit guilty she's like think of you as a very worried child I don't think of myself as a worried child at all I mean I think I was I was always very busy as a kid you know I was always like lost in some kind of imaginary world like drawing or making stuff or playing um I think maybe later on I think I think being a parent makes you face your anxieties right because you can be kind of on this treadmill you know being like doing your thing being very organized with your life and you know on this path and then I think um when you're a parent, you can sort of sometimes just be thrown into complete turmoil or chaos. You know, you, you don't know how to deal with your own worries, let alone your, your child's. So I think um, I wouldn't say I was a worried child. I was probably more of a worried parent. <laughs> mm, it, it changes gears, doesn't it? Somewhere along the way. Yeah. Like I never worried about anything. I used to do like extreme shows where I do like, you know, skydives and bungee jumps and I never had a problem ever. Oh. And then as soon as I had a kid, the first time I was doing an abseil, I was like, fucking it's in my head now yeah do you know where yeah, i just started i just yeah, started worrying like that like, what happens if something happens to me now and you know just yeah. <laughs> i started to bottle it just because of 
you know, beforehand, <laughs> I don't want to worry about owning myself. But once you have other people to kind of look out for or um, yeah. take care of, it changes everything. Um, so true. It, it, the, the schools in France are very different towards children than, than in the UK. Oh, yeah. The French education system is, is very different. It's much more old school. Um, it's very teacher-led rather than pupil-led. Um, it's starting to change a little bit. But also, I, f- I feel like their attitude to anxieties and mental health is quite different. Uh, children consult psychologists a lot more than they do in the UK, for example. It's a completely different attitude. I mean, everyone has a therapist and an analyst. But yeah, I was surprised when I first arrived that children uh, go to psychologists at a you know, very young age at, the, at what might seem a, a small problem. You know, they don't wait until it gets you know, out of control. Um, I remember being pregnant and someone asking me, are you going to consult a psychologist? And I, I didn't know what she meant at first. So she meant, you know, for your eldest. I was like, I'm just having a sister, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you just a psychologist for? But, you know, it's it's kind of normalised here, you know, and I think that's that's quite refreshing. See, uh, we have so many kids, it's like group therapy for them. They just, they just uh, <laughs> counsel each other in some way or form. Um, tell me this, when, when you go into, have you done workshops in schools with, with the books? I have. Yeah, obviously because of COVID, I haven't been able to do as, as many as I, I would have liked. I've done a lot online, which has been, you know, still lovely. Um, I've tried some here, but I've, what I've realised is that you you have to do these workshops with children who are fully bilingual, where English is their either their mother tongue or very close, because you have because it's such a delicate topic. Um, any chance of like miscommunication or misunderstanding can really you know make things quite tough. And I'm very aware that when you're talking about a book like this, it can open up things for children. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah, it has to be handled quite carefully. Yeah, it must be nice though as well though to see it come from concept to you sitting down and talking through one of the books with, with children. Yeah, right? it is. It's incredible. Yeah, and I get lovely messages like from around the world. I got a message from a mum in, in New Zealand whose son has OCD and he'd sent me a picture of himself, a lovely email with all his worries that he'd oh. drawn and and written that what they were what their names were it's yeah lovely i find that that's amazing i never knew that that's amazing that if they if you draw your worries that that it dispels it from certain parts of your brain that's amazing yeah what type of feedback have you had from parents yeah i get lovely just really nice messages through social media um especially from parents whose children have disabilities you know or learning difficulties I think I was really aware that I wanted these books to be inclusive and, you know, easy to read, accessible. And yeah, I think, um, I think especially in these times, you know, parents have been expressing a lot of, you know, gratitude to authors and, um, and anyone who can provide some kind of respite, I guess. How did the kids that you were working with, how did they open up? Did they open up with you? So what I'm careful not to do is say, you know, so what are your worries? Mm. You know, again, this is something that Empathy Lab helped me with. They said, you know, you really need to make sure you stick to the safe space of a of the book, right? Because I'm not a trained psychologist um, and you don't know what you're opening up for these kids. You don't know what home they're going back to. You don't know if they've got an adult they can talk to, who they trust. 
as soon as they've started talking about all these things. So we tend to stick to the characters, talking about the characters um, and, you know, then getting them to make their own worry monster, but it's not necessarily saying directly, you know, what's your worry? Yeah, like yeah, getting them yeah. to have fun with it, getting them to start that process of, of visualizing emotions. So it's sort of more, much more organic thing that comes to them naturally without being, it, yeah. it being pulled out of them as such. Exactly, yeah. This is something that they really need to do uh, at home with their parents and I have had messages from parents saying you know we've started drawing our worries because they found the activity I've got a lot of activity sheets on my website so those are things that parents or carers can do with children uh, in a you know in a much more um, safe and individual setting I think it's important that the kids are one-on-one with a carer when they're when they're talking about their worries. Now I know you're overly qualified to do what you're doing right but there's so many people that oh uh, you are uh, trust me um because uh, i've tried to write a children's book before thinking like have i you? have so many well like i i thought like how hard can it be this was my attitude and then realized <laughs> how unbelievably difficult it actually is uh, uh, it's yeah, really yeah. really hard thing to do i, I couldn't get over because there's so much you've, yeah. you've got to take on board with it but for you what is your creative process as such? Do you do you start sketching first? Do you do you, do you have the idea first? Is there a system to it? I do. Yeah, I I um I guess I do a lot of sketching. Um, I try to draw or write every day. Um, I don't really have a routine. I really hate routines. But I guess um yeah, just observing a lot as well. Um, I feel really lucky to do a job that I you know get to get to just watch people that's part of it you know watch people and their behavior and um look at things closely to see oh could I draw that from memory I love doing that and that yeah it's like it's like what you were saying on a previous episode of your podcast Baz, about mindfulness mm-hmm. you know it's it's such a difficult thing to do but I feel really lucky that drawing or writing you know is a form of mindfulness and that's my job but it's so therapeutic right drawing like uh, i had a friend and he was going for counseling and i I noticed because he's just not the type right that he he'd just pull out this book every now and then and just start coloring in and i was like what what are you doing man and he's like "I'm, i'm doing my coloring in and i was like what the fuck is going on with you? Like, and then he was like, "No, I was told to do it to chill out. Like, it's 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 for me to have mindfulness." And I was like, "So you just fucking pull it out and then say, I think it's something you're supposed to do at home in the pri- in your in your pri- in private." But I was like, "Listen, you want to color? I draw with my kids all the time, and what I find is they get really annoyed because I start getting really detailed into my drawings." And they're like, Dad, <laughs> look at mine. I'm like, I don't really care if it's yours. I'm just, cause it, do you find it therapeutic to draw? Do you, do you find you get something yeah. out of that? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, it's so calming. And I love it because I get to, well, I get to listen to podcasts. I get to listen to music. You know, I, get, I feel like when I'm, when I'm drawing, I, I'm like traveling, you know. I'm, I get to go to all kinds of places. It's, it's really lovely. And yeah, it's lovely drawing with my kids as well. It's, yeah, it's such a great thing to be able to do. I love it. Yeah, I think that's the mistake people make with, with mindfulness as well. They, they always expect it to be, you know, you cross-legged with a little candle in front of you with no, yeah. chimes and things. You know, it's yeah. just your head going to a different space, isn't it, really, you know? Yeah, it's different spaces. And then also being able to, like, be in the moment, you know, being really conscious in the moment. I feel like that's, like, my main objective in life is just to be really present. And I think 
also this pandemic, right, has made everyone realize that that's, that's all we can do, really. That's like, that's a massive achievement to be able to be in the moment, enjoying this moment, because, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. I think that's like, it was something I was thinking about the other day is the creative process, because you're a creator and I, I, I see myself as a creative. But but sometimes I look at my kids and I think, oh, they've been robbed of boredom. You know, they're so overly stimulated all the time that those moments where you sit on your bed and you just think or ponder or start scribbling, they're usually now filled with, you know, grab a device and pull it and that will give me instant stimulation that I don't need to ever feel, you know, like I have to be alone in my own head, which is a curse, really, right? Yeah, it's so true, right? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're constantly battling with, isn't it, as parents, like screen time, like trying to trying to manage screen time. But I think you have to just, yeah, enforce no screens at certain times. Like, I know, for example, we've never gone on journeys and let our kids have screens. You know, we've always, like, said, just look out the window, daydream, chat, play games. And they get used to it, you know? Yeah, it's, what, it's whatever's um, the norm for them. What I, I was wondering what prompts the worries for you like how do you know how do you decide which worry you're going to do next do you have like a little list in your head of, or of things that you're, you're you kind of you might settle I don't on? really think about it until I have to until I get an email from my editor saying so have you thought about the next story yeah I think inevitably there's always worries that I you know I knew at the beginning that I wanted to explore like loneliness um and you know, jealousy I that's just going to be so fun and I could already hear her voice you know like sassy kind of New Yorker um and often yeah often I first hear a voice and usually it's like the voice of some like famous movie actor but um yeah I don't necessarily say okay I really want to explore this specific one it just kind of comes I, I can't I'm waiting for the Netflix series that's what I'm waiting for and some, <laughs> so some famous Hollywood actor Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal doing the voice of someone and I'll be like there she fucking goes I knew she'd do that she'd sell out <laughs> I knew she would um I I really I I really really like what you've you're doing and what you've done and I think it's um oh, thanks, I think it's really really brilliant you have Thank a debut you. novel Silver Chain coming out next year Tell me, what, what is that about? So it's about a 16-year-old girl called Azadeh who's trying to fit in a fancy private school on a music scholarship, but she wants to be a violinist. And then her mum has a nervous breakdown and it kind of, you know, throws her world up in the air and affects her relationships with her, with her parents, with her friends and even with her music. And so it's a verse novel and really it's about kind of the healing power of music, I guess. Uh, I've always been fascinated with how music can just, you know, transport you somewhere else and make you extremely emotional. And yeah, so I wanted to write something that really uh, expressed all that. Oh, it sounds brilliant. And I always, if I'm writing anything ever, uh, I or creating anything, it always for me comes from a kind of real place. Maybe exaggerated in some way or form, but but some of the the, yeah. the 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 themes of it come from a real place. Was that the same with you when you were writing your first novel? Was that was did it come from real? Yeah, or is it, it just out of the ether. It definitely yeah, it drew from some personal experience for sure. But I think like well, like most writers, you always draw from personal experience. Um, but it is a work of fiction, and um, but I think you're you're right. It always has to come from sort of something authentic, some emotional authenticity. I think that's what. I'm always striving for in 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 my writing is is even if it's not 
you know, autobiographical, that it can feel authentically true, that you, you've connected with um, that emotion in some way. Do you think sometimes, this is just a random question, do you think sometimes because you're mixed race, I'm mixed race as well, that it makes you more yeah. authentic because you, you tend to be different to everyone else always? Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Is that yeah, stupid? yeah? I think I think that's so true. Um, <clears throat> I think about that a lot, especially because I moved to a foreign country. So I think I always felt like I was a bit foreign in the UK, and then I moved somewhere. You know, where France, you you can feel extremely foreign, right? Because it's it's a pretty racist country. Yeah, they like to make you feel and, foreign. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think like being comfortable with that foreignness has taken me some time, but I think it's an extreme privilege that's how I see it now is that there's no there's no real such thing as belonging right but I think if you have this position of, of being yet yeah, having this mixed heritage and, and feeling a little bit foreign it means that you I think you can connect with people in a different way I think you could be you're interested in people in a different way you observe them differently um, and for sure I think you can have more empathy yeah I think it's a great thing yeah I, 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 I it took me years to come to that kind of conclusion but because for me, like when I was in Ireland, no one ever really saw me as fully Irish. And then I'd go to Egypt and they were mm. like, well, he's not fully Egyptian, is he? You know, and then I, I was yeah, in this fucking between. limbo where I was like, well, OK, I'm nothing to no one. And and then then you start to take ownership of you as your own being, your own identity. And uh, that's yeah. empowering in a way, right? It is. It's really empowering. Yeah, it's something to be proud of. I'm dying yeah. to like. I'm now your biggest fan. I gotta say, I'm oh, gonna bash. chew up there. Honestly, like the the only compliment <laughs> I can give you is I wouldn't leave my children with just anyone, and <laughs> I wouldn't let my kids read books that I didn't think were, you know, right for them. And and I'd be more than happy to let my kids eat up all your books. I think. I think you're oh, fab. I'm a real, I'm you. real. Matt, he was right. You are dead, dead cool. And um, I'm, I'll be keeping an eye out <laughs> for you. Silver Chain as well. I keep keep up all the great work. And thanks so much for spending some so time much. with us. I've really enjoyed chatting to thanks. you. Yeah, me too, Baz. It's been, an, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you you'd love, love her? her? I love She's her so great. Much. Again, um, that's Gion, J-I-O-N, Shibani, uh, which is S-H-E-I-A, Sorry, S-H-E-I-B-A-N-I. Shebeni is how it's pronounced. But um, And her books, amazing books. Um, we'll link them well, all in the description. In, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, um, what, what, what do I think? I think... I think without patronising parents, because uh, uh, I don't have uh, all the answers like that, although I have many, many little people swinging out of me. Uh, there are little signs sometimes that might remind you, that might shoot a little flare into the into the dark sky that is the life of parenting. Um, especially as at times, I think we a lot of us parents have our own shit going on and, and that keeps us very distracted uh, from noticing what's happening with, with, with your kids. Um, I know I can fail in. Uh, I can fail sometimes and fall into that kind of mindset where I just think, ah, oh, so look, my kids are grand. So what have they got to control? Complain about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They got PS fives and lots of food, biscuits, and you know they have all the good stuff. And and, and that's that's bullshit. You know that's a really dangerous place to fall into because um, of course they have worries. Um, you don't be that guy or don't be that girl you know this is what i tell myself
Don't be that parent. Don't be that parent, you know. There's things you can notice. Anger or aggression in your children is a trigger, something you should look out for. Um, uh, children avoiding certain situations, I've always, if, after a while, you have to ask yourself why they're doing that. Um, simple things like bedwetting is another one. Um, changes in their appetite, uh, sudden fatigue all the time, getting in trouble at school, um, even muscle tension. I, I remember even clocking that with one of my girls where I was rubbing her shoulders for her and, and just picking up how tense and, you know, nervous habits, shit like nail biting, where they're incessantly nail biting and um, continued nightmares, you know, refusing to go to school and um, they're just little things and i know everybody knows all of them but sometimes you just have to remind yourself it, it, do you see this same problem coming all the time there are also things that parents can do to help children learn how to manage anxiety you know the tactics to help and i i think it's important that i don't avoid uh, what my child fears do you know what i mean by that while, while this may be uh, it may offer a kind of short-term relief using avoidance as some type of coping mechanism for for something that, that they're afraid of but it, it 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 reinforces the anxiety and i think over time it kind of can worsen really it, like it's the same reason that if your mum is afraid of a dog and you walk down the road and you know you make all these sudden actions every time you see a dog you, it won't be very long before your children are afraid of dogs as well you got to be you got to be very clicked on to that you know i've seen it happen you know uh, help your kid uh, learn to tolerate their fear allowing your child to be gradually exposed to the source of their fear i'm exposure therapy man i'm all over that man i'm, I'm a guy my mother was afraid of heights i fucked her out of planes and everything like do you know what i mean no truly like and this is a 70 year old woman it's the same with kids sometimes it's exposure therapy the anxiety of of doing something or thinking about it is always much worse than doing it and um, and i think this is what happens to kids sometimes and um, people think kids are expensive but i'm telling you that you just need to pay them attention that's all you Aww. know it's a nice little pun but it you know that's that's the best value uh, of getting something out of your relationship is is just time with your kids and just you know once you know them well like you do you'll you'll pick up on these little triggers these little signs i think i think it's worked for me in the past where i see something and, and i can shoot it down early and we can work things out together as a family it's got to be a safe zone Daddy Baz has got to be a safe space. You know, I, th I think that's what it's it kind of got to be like. Listen, I've really enjoyed this season. I've had so much. It's been so interesting. I want to thank all my guests. I want to thank Mahi and, and John John. And, um, and I want to thank you because again and again, it's just the podcast has just grown. And it's just going really, really well. And we're really, really happy with it. And uh, I just want to thank you. Um, again, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe. And um, we got loads of episodes you can go back and listen to as well. And um, you can you can pass it on to family and friends. And you can like and subscribe it. And you can follow me on my Instagram at uh, Bashmaui. Uh, or you can get me on Twitter. Um, I'd love any feedback, please. Really, anything you'd like to see in upcoming seasons. Any little uh, any notes. Any people, any topics you want us to talk about or yeah really want us to talk and to. we were saying but this one it felt heavier this season i don't know is that just because we got engrossed in in the lockdown period and we were working our way through the last year maybe the mindset's been a certain way um but if there's other stuff that you'd like to see us doing please let us know listen champion stuff uh all the best to you and yours and good luck in the cup <laughs>